Hello, I'm Stephanie Ruff. And I'm Aviva Nabeski. We're the hosts of the Dressage Today podcast, where you can find us talking about anything and everything dressage related. Our conversations span the world of dressage from leading riders to local level dressage heroes. We're talking training advice, showing tips, and sharing stories to inspire your own dressage journey. So tune in, then tack up. Hello and welcome to the Dressage Today podcast. Today's episode is sponsored by ADM. Later on, we will be talking to longlining expert Jennifer Hoffman. But first, how's it going, Aviva? What's new on your end? Well, hi, Stephanie. It's good to talk to you. It's been a really hectic month so far. Um, I've been very fortunate. I've been doing a lot of judging and teaching a lot of clinics, and I'm actually sitting here talking to you today with a horrific sunburn from standing out in an outdoor sand arena with no shade for 10 lessons. Oh, no. Yep. There's There's no winning. The day before I judged, it was cold, it was raining, it was windy, and I was under a tent under trees in the shade, and I was cold. So it's one or the other. It's it's sort of what being being in the horse business is all about, right? It is always dealing with the elements. Yep. <laughs> so so how was it? You just went to the dressage observation event. How was it there? What was the weather like? I know they were trying to approximate the tropical conditions of of Japan. Was it awful or how did it go? Well, I would say they succeeded fairly well in duplicating the uh, weather conditions that they are expecting. Um, You know, it is. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) It is June now in Florida. So, you know, the humidity has arrived. Um, Actually, Wednesday wasn't bad. Wednesday, there was a nice breeze that kept it, you know, tolerable. Friday night mm-hmm. was, was, there was no breeze. So it was much muggier and the air was much heavier. Um, everybody seemed to handle it pretty well though. The horses and riders all say, seemed to be able to deal with it pretty well. So, but it, it definitely set them up for what weather-wise, what they're going to encounter when they're over there in Tokyo, as well as the same time, because they'll be competing at night under the lights. And this was also at night under the lights. So, um, but it was great. It was, it was a fantastic event. Um, I had a fan, I had a great time and this was the first time I ever saw this kind of caliber dressage live and in person. Of course, like everyone else, I've seen it on TV or live stream or, or whatever, but, um, I was up close and personal and it was quite a treat and, and really special. And I'm very fortunate that I was able to, uh, to go and check it out and talk to well, some I know, great people. I know way back in the 80s, my husband and I went to the Atlanta Olympics and we saw all the dressage there. And they they did a lot of really preparing the horses and the riders for the heat and how to handle the heat because they did have all of the competition during the day under the Ooh. heat of the sun. And Ooh. what they did was they, they had the day divided into two and they did things in the morning and then they did things later in the afternoon so that it wasn't, you know, that middle of the day when the sun is just beating down on you. And I have to say, I'm just so jealous that you were there because I think the caliber of riding and the caliber of horses just is, is increasing exponentially over the years. And as exciting as Atlanta was, I was able to watch a little bit of the live stream for the observation event. And Oh my Lord, it's, it's, it's spectacular. The quality has just gone through the roof. Yeah. I, I think the Americans have a real shot at meddling, don't you? 
Yeah, and I tell you, um, I spoke with Debbie McDonald um, one day, and she basically echoed the same thing. She said, you know, the programs that they've put in place, the Developing Horse program and the Young Rider programs and all of the programs that they kind of put in place, you know, 10 or so or more years ago are starting to pay dividends now. Um, she yeah. Said, like that would take a while to show, but she said, but she said exactly what you said. The caliber of the horses and riders in the U.S. is increasing every year. And I mean, she really, she said it's hard to know, um, you know, what to expect compared to everybody else because, you know, because of the COVID restrictions, nobody's been competing against anybody else. The Germans have right. been competed in Germany, you know, the Dutch have competed, you know, in the Netherlands, the British have competed in England. So she said, it's really hard to get a feel for, you know, what's out there, but she, she's very optimistic of our chances. So what I think was so cool about this event, Stephanie, is that, you know, all of the judges that they had for the observation event were international judges. Um, so they are, they are judging on that international scale um, with the expectation of the quality that we see from the Germans and the quality that we see from the Dutch and the quality that we've been seeing from, from the Brits. And they are still scoring our top American riders at those, you know, what to us are astronomical levels, yeah. you know, in the 70s and touching into 80s. Yeah. And, you know, to me, that that's really exciting that it we are competitive at this point. Yeah, yeah. And that was the purpose they wanted. That's why they brought the international judges in so they could see how the U.S. riders were stacking up against, you know, with an international panel and not just U.S. judges. So that was done, you know, with a distinct purpose. So they had an idea of where they would rank. And um, everybody's pretty optimistic. So... I guess we'll see. We should find out within the next week um, who will actually be traveling to Tokyo. And um, but but one of the other things that I just wanted to throw out there to our listeners is if you're interested in hearing my kind of behind the scenes view of, you know, just sort of a dressage fan attending an event such as this. If you go to dressagetoday.com, you can read an article that I wrote and under the news oh, awesome. section. Yeah, so go there and check that out. And there's some photos and uh, just kind of my impressions of the uh, the whole event. So you can check that out a little, there. A little fangirl let loose in the upper echelons. Exactly. <laughs> That's exactly what happened. Well, um, I just I just have to say I just you know we're we're always so in awe of yes. these upper level and international riders. And they're, they're just so remarkable and amazing. But what is so cool to me is when you watch these people and I, I don't mean this in a snarky way, but when they make mistakes um, that, that we are not perfect, any of us, even at that level, right. that this is still a, a, a team sport this is still a partnership between yeah. the horse and the rider and sometimes there are little miscues and little miscommunications and you know sometimes the horse is saying you know mom it's really hot or did you see that flashbulb go off <laughs> um and there's just something very um endearing about, about seeing the 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 humanness 
of riders and their horses. And it's also lovely seeing the bond between these horses and their riders. And when they finish and, and the rider reaches down to thank the horse and, and it's such a heartfelt thank you. Um, it, it, it just, I, I, I wish I had been able to, to stay awake to watch all of the riders. I think I was able to watch seven. Um, and it was just, it was just, it was breathtaking. It was just wonderful. And I'm just so envious that you got to be there live. It was a late night, but yes. And, and, and you can actually, you know, you can feel the emotion from the, from not only the riders, but their grooms and the trainers and the owners and the crowd. It was great. We had spectators. Friday night was sold out. There were over, I think, at least 700 people there. So it, um, and you really can feel it, which is fantastic. And yeah, it kind of just makes the rest of us feel a little bit better when you don't want, you don't want them to make errors, but it does sort of make us all feel like, oh, okay. <laughs> so of all of the horse and rider combinations that you saw, what was the what was the one crowning moment and what was the most educational moment for you? Oh, I don't I crowning moment. I'm not really sure. That's hard to say. Well, you know, not specifically, but I think in general, there were a lot of people, whether they were in the top, you know, three to five or not. There were a lot of people that made personal bests at this competition. So that to me really spoke to how much every single person tried, how hard they all tried, how hard they all worked, um, you know, and how much they wanted to do well. And for, I don't know, probably four or five different ones setting personal bests, probably each night, Wednesday night, and then Friday night, that to Mm -hmm. me just, you know, really stood out that, that these people were just giving it and horses, I should say, were giving it everything they had to do this. Um, you know, whether they realistically had a chance to make the team or not, they were, they were going to do everything they could the best that they could. So that was really, really nice to see. And, um, and, you know, that's a little bit education wise too, is, yeah. And that's part of the thing with dressage is that you are, in a lot of times, you're competing against yourself. You're competing against others, but you're competing against yourself too. And I think a lot of people had better rides for the most part Friday night than Wednesday night. So interesting. I, I, and I can't swear to that because I don't have the scores right in front of me and stuff like that, Mm -hmm. but just, you know, but there was, there were definitely some horses that were a bit tense on Wednesday that, you know, this was kind of new to them and, and they did better on Friday. So it, yeah. it definitely, they took what they did Wednesday. They thought about it. They made whatever adjustments and they came back out and, you know, and they just, they're like, they, whatever happened on Wednesday went away and they went for it on Friday. And so, and yeah, the fact that there were some mistakes and, yeah, like we said, you, you don't want to see them, especially in something like this. You hate to see them, I should say. You yes. feel badly for them. Um, but there's something so humanizing. It's very humanizing. And yeah. the fact that all of them, even though they had some, the ones that had some baubles, they recovered very quickly. They went on. Yeah. It didn't phase them. They went on. They wrote their tests. They, you know, they finished. And, um, you know, and, and that takes time and experience and being and focus that, yeah. 
you know, that the rest of us work at attaining. So one of the things that I really enjoyed was I was I was listening on Friday night and um, Laura Graves was hosting, was yes. sort of moderating. And number one, she's very funny <laughs> and she's very engaging. But the yeah. other thing that just struck me was, you know, she knows all of these people. It's a small right. world. That upper echelon of riders is a yeah. small world. And the the um, the attachment and the, the warmth that she had for each pair when there was a mistake and she'd say, ah, oh, buddy. Um, and, and, you know, you just felt her riding with everyone right. and there was none of that kind of snarky, oh, well, no. you know, if he had done this, that, or the other, there was, there was such a sense of we're all in this together and yes. we all want to do well. It yep. was just, it was just, a, it had a beautiful, warm, encompassing feel. And I'm, I'm just, I'm thrilled for the state of dressage today. Yeah. And I kind of felt that we've, you felt that there, like people were cheering, everybody was cheering for each other. Everybody wanted everyone to do a good job, even though at the, but at the same time, they were there to compete, you know, don't get me wrong. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, they're, but there, yeah. they're there to win. Yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, it felt like a very supportive atmosphere, which was great. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I will, I will have to go online and find your article yes. and see what you had to say about everybody. Yeah. Um, was there one pair that really stood out for you more than any other oh. pair? Oh. I mean, I know it was pretty magnificent, yeah. but was there, was, was there one horse you wanted to take home? Oh, I would take any of them. Come on. Oh, yeah. No, like, please. Um, Wednesday night, Adrian and Salvino really, really looked good. Um, and it's not that they looked bad on Friday, but I don't, you know, and part of it was I couldn't watch. I was also taking pictures and walking and stuff. So it's not like I could watch every, you know, every moment of every ride. But yeah. um you know, they looked really good on on Wednesday. I think Stefan and, and Mopsy looked really good on Friday. And Sabine looked really good both nights. So, you know, I mean, those three were the were the top and they they looked they looked really good. But the one thing I have to say, and then we'll move on. <laughs> but <Okay. laughs> this is this was the one thing, and I took pictures of all this. These horses' tails. Now I know that's <laughs> Their tails are the most fantastic, every single one. Their tails are the most fantastic things I have ever seen. And I need to find out what these grooms do to make their tails look just so fabulous because they're, they're out of this world. <laughs> well, then we're just gonna have to do a podcast with, a, with one of these grooms and find out how to handle a tail. Cause- We are, yeah. because I was so, that was like the, the odd thing that struck me. I'm like, God, these tails are nice. Look at that tail. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yes. So now inquiring minds want to know what do you do to make a Grand Prix international Grand Prix dressage horses tail look so darn good. <laughs> yeah. And aren't we going to be upset if we find out that they're fake tails? No, no, we're not going to. Oh, no, I'm not even going there. No. Nope. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I used to believe that. <laughs> but they are beautiful. I have no good way to segue from that okay. to our okay. next subject. <laughs> Other than one of the things that um, I saw you recently chat about online was uh, your tendency to purchase saddle pads. 
You mean so, my saddle pattern addiction? <laughs> well, if that's what we're calling it, then, um, but something tells me that there are probably listeners out there who can relate to buying lots of saddle pads. And um, how many well, did you say you think you own? I'm really embarrassed to say this on, on national, you know, <laughs> but so, so let me say that I think I have about 65. However, let me say also, I do ride two horses yes. and it's summer and it's hot. And so each saddle pad gets drenched after okay. one ride and needs to be washed. Yes. Um, and also that my, my best friend who also had just a little bit of a saddle pad addiction, um, when she died, she left me all of her saddle pads. So it's a, it's a, it's a joint collection. It, it isn't is a, all that, mine. You're correct. That, that would be considered a joint collection. And um, yes. So tell, so, tell, yeah. tell, our, tell our listeners about your most recent saddle pad purchase. <laughs> so my most recent saddle pad. So I happen to love the color yellow. Green is my favorite color, but I love the color yellow. And I rode chestnuts for a long time. And yellow happens to look really good on chestnuts. And, you know, any of you who know chestnuts know there aren't a lot of really great colors. Yeah. yeah. Um, so Equestrian Stockholm was advertising this new saddle pad that they have out called Soft Lemon. And I simply couldn't resist. And so, yes, indeed, I bought that 65th saddle pad. And I have to admit that by going back and looking at my other saddle pads, I realized I already have two yellow saddle pads, but we're not going to remember that. No. Um, so I bought the soft yellow saddle pad and it arrived and I took it out of the box. And I don't know what you guys would think about the color soft yellow, but to me, it's sort of a, a pastel-y, soft understated yellow right and this es pad is yellow in your face <laughs> yellow um and i probably wouldn't have ordered it if i had realized it was quite that yellow but now that i own it i put it on my horse and i rode in it and i happen to have a yellow short sleeve polo so you know i had to do the matchy right of course and i'm not a big fan of the fly bonnet so i didn't buy a fly bonnet and I didn't buy the polos because they were really, really expensive. Well, today I was teaching and one of my students was wearing a really lovely long sleeve yellow sun shirt. And we got onto the subject of yellow and we got onto the subject of my yellow saddle pad <laughs> and that I love matchy matchy because, you know, it's really fun that dressage is finally no longer just black and white and that we right. do have bling and, you know, we have fun with stuff and I've always loved color. Um, and right before we started this podcast, my wonderful student, Gina, sent me a text with a picture of yellow wraps and said they are hers and they're used. But if I want them, they're mine. <laughs> so now I'm going to be even more matchy matchy. Excellent. Well, I can't wait to see. I can't, you're going to have to take a picture and uh, share it with all of us. And I also have to admit, admit one other funny thing. And I know, I know our listeners will get a kick out of this. So we know I have a new horse and his name is, his barn name is Tiger. So I went looking for a tiger stripe saddle pad. And I need to tell you guys that there is no such thing. You can get zebra stripes, you can get leopard spots, but nobody makes 
tiger stripes. So I have a friend named Diana who is a very, very talented seamstress. She makes beautiful stock ties. And I sent her a message and I asked her if she would be willing to make me a tiger stripe saddle pad. And she's making me one. Isn't that going to be oh, fun? Tiger yes. My husband told me yes. I need to find tiger stripe britches. And I said, I wasn't a hooker. I was a rider. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, we definitely will need to see the tiger stripe saddle pad when, when it is complete. I promise. I absolutely promise. Okay. Good. So do you, do you have any of any kind of attack addiction or are you blessedly safe from that? I'm, I'm relatively safe from that. I believe I, I, I don't have a saddle pad addiction. Definitely not. Um, I tend to wear my stuff out. So I have things for a very long time, but I tend to not add to it, fortunately. Um, so I, I, I'm relatively safe. Okay. I guess I'm an odd person. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I am, yeah. apparently. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're also not going to talk about my sun shirt habit. Okay. Well, we'll save that for another one because I do have quite a few. <laughs> so maybe we should compare notes on our sun shirts and we can reconvene in the next okay. podcast of a sun shirt. Thing because, you know, I do live in Florida, so I am all about the sun shirt. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> We want to move on to our Ask the L feature, which has become a really popular part of this podcast. So I am so glad you suggested this as a feature to do. I think you're the one who came up with it. Am I? Okay. Yeah. Oh, maybe I, you came up with the title. I did, but you came up with the idea. Okay. I'm really <laughs> glad I came up with that idea. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Okay. <laughs> I'm glad you're willing to answer the questions because all I do is I find them, you know, but you have to answer them. And today's question comes from Jessica and okay. it is, what are your expectations when training and or showing a young horse who is a dressage prospect? Why am I getting such a hard question? I don't know. I'm sorry. Give it okay. your best so, shot. I'm I'll sure give you it my have an shot. opinion. Oh, I have opinions on everything. <laughs> so, so Jessica, to me, that is more of a um, a trainer question than really a, a, a you know a judge question. But I'm going to address it as you know somebody who's sitting at sea and a young horse comes in. Um, so I guess my expectation is, and and I do see a lot of riders who come in with with green horses, and that's not necessarily a young horse, but a horse that doesn't know a whole lot. Um, and what I'm looking for, honestly, more than anything, is correctness of basics and harmony with the riders. Um, I, I think that the training scale is something that's very, very important. And if people don't actually know what the training scale is, then looking at the dressage tests themselves will tell you where to go in your training, you know, the, 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 what you're looking for, um, in intro level, which is accuracy, which is a horse that's just going nicely, freely forward, not on the bit, but, you know, reaching for the bridle and showing some connection that's supple enough to make a 20 meter circle that, 
is able to figure out how to do a transition between this point and that point that is is thinking about doing things in some balance and then moving up to training level where you want a horse that is really more honestly reaching for the bit that that is balanced on a 20 meter circle that can go through a corner um that it's able to, to differentiate between straightness on a diagonal line and bend through a corner. And then, you know, moving up into first level where your horse is showing the increased power and thrust for a lengthening, um, where the horse is in that level balance but starting to, to think about carrying some weight behind, where the horse is able to be laterally supple, to start thinking about doing the, the movement of, of a leg yield where they actually have to lift their shoulders and cross their legs. Um, and start to carry a little bit more weight behind and maintain straightness. So for me, what I want to see in a young horse is a horse that has been correctly started, a horse that isn't being forced into a frame, a horse that is going at the tempo that seems to be comfortable for that individual horse. Um, you know, we talk a lot about forward, and forward is extremely important with young horses um, but people don't understand the idea of forward and it is not the same as tempo tempo is how quickly the horse goes rhythm is the footfalls so you know the rhythm of the walk is even four beats the rhythm of the trot is even two beats you know the rhythm of the canter is but a dump but a dump but a dump um, but tempo is something that can be a little bit more unique to a horse. And there are some horses whose tempos are quicker than other horses, but the horses that have a slow tempo may still be forward. Um, forward is about the power from behind. Forward is about tracking up. Forward is that feeling that you, you get when you watch a horse and it looks as if it really wants to go forward, that when the rider closes the lower leg, pushes the hip forward, that the horse has a surge of some kind, that there's a natural inclination to go. Um, so that's what I look for um, in a dressage prospect. I look for three correct gates. Um, a pure four-beat walk. I, I know it was interesting, you know, going back a little bit to what we talked about previously, listening to Laura Graves talk about the Grand Prix horses, and she talked a lot about the walk tour and that so many Grand Prix horses don't have a great walk and that they lose the purity of the rhythm. Um, and that's something that I'm honestly struggling with with my horse, Tiger. He's got a very big walk and if I allow him to sort of get a little bit tense, his walk becomes lateral and he loses that natural rhythm. So in a young horse, in a dressage prospect, I wanna see a horse that when left to his own devices in the free walk is reaching over his back and is, is, is swinging through his back and has a clear four beat, one, two, three, four, that when they're trotting, that that trot doesn't feel like they're rushing, that they don't look like they're falling on their forehands, that they don't look like they're squashed with a short neck and too tight and tense and uncomfortable, but that it's that kind of trot that you see when they're out in the field and they're free and happy and just sort of trotting along the fence line. Um, same kind of thing with the canter, that it's it's relaxed. I guess I guess what I look for in a dressage prospect is that feeling of relaxation, that feeling of swing um, through the back, the feeling of purity and joy. Um, and I like to see that as it goes through the levels. 
that the, the purity of the gates remains there, that the joy in the movement remains there, that you see the, the horse taking pleasure in being an athlete. So that's a very long-winded answer to that question, and I'm not sure if it answered it at all, but that's what I'm going to stick with. I, I think it answered it. I think you did a very, very good job of answering what you said was a hard question. So, Thank yeah. You. Yeah. And um, for our listeners, if you have a question about showing or judging, please email me at sruff at equinenetwork.com or reach out to us on DT social media. Or if you have any comments about saddle pad addictions. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, please let us know. We will help you. <laughs> or enable you. I'm not sure which. <laughs> After a short break, we will be back with our conversation with Jennifer Hoffman. Gastric support just got easy. Forge First GS by ADM helps provide gastric support for horses of all ages and performance levels. Performance horses today have high energy requirements and face many stressors including exercise, hauling, and stall confinement. An estimated 90% of performance horses face stomach discomfort caused by gastric distress, which can negatively affect their performance, attitude, and overall health. The unique triple action blend of ingredients in ADM's Forge First GS supplement helps support a healthy gastric pH while protecting and strengthening the stomach lining, helping keep your horse happy and performing at its best. Forge First GS, gastric support for the one you love the most. Learn more and find your dealer at admequine.com. Jennifer Hoffman is a really interesting person in the horse industry. She has such an incredible breadth of knowledge. She came up through the 4-H program in Pennsylvania and her first horse was an off-the-track thoroughbred named Autumn Charm and that was who she later named her farm after. Um, she rode with Dana Bright who's nationally known for driving and she attended the University of Finley in their Western program. She spent time working for reigning WEG gold medalist Dan Huss as well as working with Nandy Veterinary Associates, foaling mares, handling stallions, and young horses. In 2001, she branched out on her own, and in 2004, she bought her farm, Autumn Charm Sport Horses, that focuses on boarding lessons and breeding. Her focus on dressage and long lining has come from riding with J.J. Tate and learning to long line from J.J.'s husband, Richard Malmgren. Um, I'm really excited to introduce you to Jennifer, and tell you a little bit about how I met her. I'm really excited to introduce everybody to my friend, Jen. So we've talked in the past a little bit about my horse, Leo, and what a, a difficult man he has been. And um, I heard about this woman who was going to be coming to a farm near me who did something called long lining. And I asked my trainer what she thought about it and whether she thought it would be helpful for Leo. And her response was more or less, well, we can always try. So I bundled Leo into the trailer and I took him to meet Jennifer Hoffman and she longlined him and I wasn't really sure what was going on or what it was all about, but he behaved himself, which was kind of exciting. Um, and she seemed to like him and she was a nice person. And the next time I got on him, I had a different horse and I was sold from that point on. Longlining is an amazing adjunct. It's a wonderful technique for horses. 
And I want to introduce everybody out there to it because I think it can be really helpful. So before we get into just the nitty gritty about longlining, Jen, why don't you tell us, I told everybody about your history and how you've done so many different things in horses and that you started out with driving in Western and now here you are in dressage and breeding and longlining. How did you originally get involved with horses and what made you decide to do it professionally? Um, when I was, uh, my mom said I was five or six and we went to a neighbor's house and um, they had won a pony named Popcorn in a raffle <laughs> at a, a carnival and I went for a ride and I sat behind her on Popcorn and my mom said I never stopped talking about horses ever since. Um, <laughs> and I... As far as like wanting to be a professional, I think I was about age 12. Um, I had just switched horses from a really reliable schoolmaster type horse to an off-track thoroughbred. And I was reading everything I could about horses. And um, I met a local woman who did dressage. She had owned the horse that I was had um, moved on from. And she introduced dressage to me and I learned how to train my off-track thoroughbred. And yeah, I wanted to be a trainer since then. Yeah. Well, you're certainly a very talented horsewoman. I, I've seen that just in the way that you've worked with both Leo and Tiger. Um, I know that our listeners, some of them probably understand long lining, but I think a lot of them are probably as ignorant about it as I was when I first met you. So can you talk a little bit about what it is and how it's different from just lunging, what the equipment is like and how it works? Um, the equipment I use, I have a surcingle that uh, Richard Malmgren, my mentor, um, got me in Sweden. Um, it has rings that stand up and they don't make them in the US. Um, so I use a surcingle that has many rings and attachments. It also has two separated shoulders. Um, so there's like a hoop on the top. And so each shoulder can move freely. Um, and then uh, reins, obviously. Um, and then I just use a, a snaffle bit type head stall on the horse. How is it different from lunging? Yeah. So for me, um, lunging is sort of uh, a simple way of teaching the horse to go from the hind leg to the bit. And so the basis of forward and submission. Um, long lining to me is like riding from the ground. And it is um, very black and white to the horse. And it's much more specific as far as teaching the horse um, the idea of inside leg to outside rein. Mm -hmm. um, and so I work mostly on an octagon, not a circle. And I do straight lines and turns where the horse's shoulders come around the haunches. And each time the horse turns, it loads the inside hind leg. So it's not actually a circle. Um, so that's quite a bit different than lunging. Um, also, again, really working the horse from the outside rein, I think is a huge difference. Mm -hmm. um, we can really make the horse straight through its body in the long lines. So I've noticed when you long line at my place, um, lots of the different horses start with a slight counter bend. And you always say, don't worry about that. Talk a little bit about why that's okay. 
Yeah, um, so we call that outside positioning. And so in the long lines, you can see the three evasions of the horse very clearly, um, which are uh, crookedness. So the horse leans through the left shoulder or the right shoulder. Um, neck evasion, where you see the inversion of the neck or curling. And um, speed evasion, where the horse either rushes or sucks back. Um, and so the outside positioning that we see is the horse who falls in. And, you know, I'm sure anybody who, who rides has ridden a horse that's falling in on the circle. Sure. Uh, and so when we see that outside positioning, the horse is not connecting to the outside rein yet. Um, we a little bit let the horse fail and let the horse find his way to the outside rein. I refuse to pull on the inside rein. And um, the horse will, from nature, find his way to balance. I do use my whip, of course, as my inside leg, but um, I encourage the horse to find his way to straightness through, you know, we use the horse's sense from being a prey animal. Um, the horse always wants to be balanced. And when the horse is falling in, all of its weight is on the inside front leg and it soon figures out that it needs to be much more balanced than that. So it, it seeks out the outside brain. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. What, after a, after a long lining session, what can the rider expect to feel um, with the horse? And how long does that kind of last? Yeah, um, I think the feeling the day after is amazing. Yep. Um, <laughs> the horse feels uh, much more through um, and much more equal in both reins. Uh, greater understanding of the outside rein leading the horse. Um, yeah, that throughness and connection is really what me, got me addicted to it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, it's for sure the best. <laughs> uh, how long does it last? Well, <laughs> I guess that would say the first thing is getting the rider to feel that feeling that that occurs the day after the long lining. Yeah. And of course, after that is, you know, just like anything in riding is we want that feeling every day. So we can seek out that new feeling, hopefully through our own riding. Um, you know, we're, we're always looking for those special feelings. And if we can get you to feel that, um, then you'll seek it out on your own. Right. Yeah. What does a horse need to know in order to be long lined? Um, for sure, it needs to lunge well. Um, I have long lined many, many horses now, and some of them don't lunge very well. Um, so what I mean by that is that the horse uh, respects and is submissive to the lunge line, um, and that the horse tries to stay somewhat balanced. Um, mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be perfect. It can be very green, but um, I don't really want to be drug all over the arena. Yeah. Um, yeah. And um, the horse has to accept the bit. So sometimes I meet a horse that that does not accept the bit. Um, in other words, when we touch the horse's mouth, it has a big reaction or it doesn't understand um, how to push towards the bit. And sometimes I suggest going back and teaching the horse a little bit more basic lunging. Um, you know, usually I can get the horse long line, but uh, there is an occasion here and there where 
where uh, we have to go back and teach the horse how to lunge. And I have done that in clinics. Um, <laughs> it's okay. Everybody's on a journey, right? Right. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so just teaching the horse um, to be submissive to the lunge line and respectful. Yeah. One of the things that's always really impressed me watching you work with the horses is your incredible patience um, that you don't help the horses. I love it when you say that you give the horse the opportunity to fail um, so that they can find their own way to success. Because I think what a lot of us as riders do is we try to fix things for our horses yeah. and then the horse never learns to do it on its own. Um, and then the other thing that I've always been impressed with you is that you're willing to think outside the box. Um, that, yeah. you know, there is not a recipe for anything that you, you go where the horse is. Yes. And I, I think that, um, as much as Richard is of course my mentor and I, I really, uh, follow what he says. And, um, I also draw from my own experiences and I have met a few horses that, um, were going through through something or something happened in their life where, for instance, um, one was an Amish horse, an ex-Amish horse that was very afraid of the bit. And I put the lung, the, I put my, um, my reins on the cavison instead of on the bit um, because she was so afraid of the contact and through that, I was then able to, over a few sessions, uh, put the reins on the bit after she trusted me. So I, I am not afraid to leave the box. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my box is, uh, yeah, the sides crumble very easily. <laughs> um, I, I always feel like I'm there to help the horse and help the rider. And uh, I'll do whatever I can that is kind and and you know, trying to think like a horse and think my way through the problem. Um, yeah, I'll go there. <laughs> so that makes me kind of wonder, can you long line someone while riding or can you long line a rider on a horse? I don't know if other people can or have, but I don't want any part of that. <laughs> um, I feel like that could be really dangerous. Um, I'm sure that there are horses out there that are trained enough that I'm sure that you could. I mean, you can, you can drive a horse with someone on it, I guess, yeah. but um, I don't know. I, I see 30 feet of leather and yeah, I just, <laughs> I, I know what can happen really quickly. So right. I, I would avoid that. So then, you know, and I will say, I know the very, very basics of long lining. I can kind of go in straight lines. I can turn, I can, you know, left and right. I can back the horse up and stuff, but, you know, so I only know the, the absolute basics. So how hard, you know, for, for most people that are, you know, that our listeners are, you know, mostly probably the people you've worked with, a lot of them are, are adult amateur women or something. So if somebody wants to learn how to do this, how hard is it? And how do you, how would you even go about trying to learn? Yeah, it's a really hard to learn. Um, <laughs> That's why I know the basics. <laughs> I hope he doesn't mind me quoting him, but Richard would say, don't let your people long line. Okay, um, there you go. <laughs> um, I, I've done lots of different things with horses and um, 
the first time I long lined, Richard had been coming to long line my horses every six weeks for a year or two. And so they were, they were pretty trained. And my one horse rooster is uh, really born on the bit. And so he was the first horse I long lined. And I took the lines and in about two minutes, he was running backwards. And I was like, holy cow, I, I don't know anything. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> he is like amazing to long line. Um, yeah, so it is um, the weight of the leather makes the contact. And that's really hard to learn. <laughs> uh, it is just the weight of the leather. Um, yeah. I think leather lines are really important um, because they create the contact. The ride or the driver does not create the contact. Mm. The horse, of course, reaches for the bit. So the horse creates the contact, but the contact is the leather. Um, so that is hard. And then, of course, Anybody who's learned to lunge, learning to manage the lunge line is a challenge. Right. And then having two of them and the whip. Also, the first day, I, first week or so, I long lined, my wrist got so sore from carrying the whip. Uh, I couldn't carry anything in my right hand. I remember I, I was like, wow, this is a, a really profound. Um, and then of course, it's just like anything else is every horse is so different. Um, so it, it's not easy to learn. Um, yeah, so I, I have gotten to ride about six Grand Prix horses in my life. And I think, you know, having the knowledge to ride to the top and know where you're going is really important. I bet. Um, and also just drawing from my experience with many, many horses beforehand um, and many kinds of horses is so important. I mean, you know, you, I, sometimes I can just tell by the look in the horse's eye that I, how I want to run the lines because we mm -hmm. have different options for how we run the lines on the horses, um, you know, and, and just your gut feeling about the horse. And, you know, of course you talk to the owner, but um, I, I had one horse a few week, months ago. Um, it was an experienced show jumper and it was absolutely terrified of the second line. <laughs> I think it thought it was a whip. Oh. And um, yeah, I, it was not a young horse. It was, you know, I don't know, he's 15 or something. And um, I had to spend quite a bit of time just getting him okay with the lines. Um, and now he's good. but. Yeah, I, I think that it's so much more than just the feel of the long lining and it's not easy to learn. Yeah. Well, I have to say watching you, it's it's certainly, you know, it, it I, I think people think it's easy because you make it look easy, but it's easy the way riding is easy. You yeah. know, if you're a good rider, you make it look easy. Right. If you're not a good rider, it's not particularly pretty. You do this beautifully, so it looks like anybody can, but I wouldn't even attempt to. <laughs> um, all things being equal, how often should you longline your horse? I mean, I know I do it monthly because that's as often as I can get you, but if I could get you more frequently, how frequently should I have you? Yeah, my horse at home, I try to longline once a week. My yes. clinic's... Uh, I do um, at four, six, and eight week intervals, and that's helpful to the people where I go. Um, Richard comes to me about every six weeks. Okay. I, I have had horses in for boot camp. Um, 
I actually um, had a horse here all winter um, and the owner rode it some, but I rode it or I long lined it uh, multiple days a week. And um, I just had a little thoroughbred in for training um, and he just is learning how to go on the bit. So I had him in for two weeks and really helped him, you know, get there for his, his owner. So, yeah, I think I think there's so many different options, you know. Yeah. So I know that when when I brought Leo to you the first time, you insisted that I ride him the day after. So yeah. that is your recommendation for everyone that, that the horse be ridden after being longlined? Yes, that you should definitely ride the next day so that you can feel the change. Um, yes, absolutely. <laughs> Well, I know the last time you were here and you, you long-lined Leo and then we worked a little bit um, just on some exercises on the ground for me and then getting on Leo, I, I, I know he didn't look as great as he might have if I had warmed him up enough, but the feel that I had was really very dramatic and that was you know, even tired after a long-lining session. And I want to tell you that he has been fabulous since that day as well, just in great. terms of his, his regularity and his comfort level it's just been it's been fabulous so for for all of you guys listening this is if you can if you can find somebody who really knows what they're doing um if you're anywhere around pennsylvania and you can contact jen or if you're in you know near Bowie, maryland and you want to come to me for one of her clinics i, I think it's the most amazing adjunct to your to your riding um and it it tells it tells a lot about what you do right and wrong as a rider as well i think don't you agree john you can yes, tell I, I think there's so many benefits to long lining um i first of all it makes your horse straighter uh second of all it develops strength because every turn is is like doing a squat thrust at the gym um, so all these little turns on the octagon are, are really intense. Um, it, it helps the suppling of the shoulders because we're moving the shoulders around and, um, we can see the yielding of the hind legs and how easily or how much struggle the horse has moving the hind legs somewhere different. And of course, eventually collection. Um, but I always say that long lining to me has a 50% improvement for the horse. 50% of it is for improvement on the horse. The other 50% is for the rider to see the horse, I think is just as beneficial. Um, you can see so clearly the evasions the horse has and how classical dressage is all kindness and systematic and repetition and letting the horse seek out uh, straightness and connection. And so seeing that I didn't, you know, chuck it in the mouth or, um, you know, I didn't do anything to the horse other than repeat this exercise and add in transitions um, where the horse does the transition. Um, I talk about that a lot when I long line is I don't care how long it takes for the horse to make the transition, for instance, from trot to walk. If it takes eight circles, it takes eight circles. Uh, the horse will look for me to pull, if, especially if the rider pulls the horse in all the transitions. And so I, I'm just patient and I wait 
and then I repeat the transition. The next time it only takes four circles and the next time it only takes one. And then all of a sudden one half halt and the horse will go from trot to walk. Um, yeah, so I think the rider seeing the horse go is so important. And occasionally I know at Aviva's I had um, a rider put their hand on top of my hand for a little bit because I think sometimes people don't realize how light the horse can be. Yeah. I mean, you think you're being light and light is amazing. I mean, I tell my students, it's like petting a fly. It's the smallest thing um, and they can feel it, you know? And so I love helping people understand their horses better. That That's definitely as good as helping the horse. Yeah. Mm. Well, and that, that actually perfectly leads me into my last question for you, which is something that I like to ask everybody in our interviews. And that is, what do you think makes a good horse person? Love. <laughs> um, I'll cry about it. Uh, I didn't mean to do that. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I think you have to love the horse. Yeah. And I think that you have to have empathy. Which clearly um, you have. <laughs> Yeah, I think you have to have empathy for the horse and the struggles it goes through. I think sometimes we forget. Um, I think Denny Emerson talks about that on his page and on Facebook that go to the gym and do some reps and then have some empathy for your horse, you know? Yeah. He's out there trying and changing and he doesn't have to be there with you, um, but he chooses to. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I think uh, clarity being clear with your aids and not telling the horse six things at once is really important. And um, someone who always wants to learn and improve and, you know, whether it's from clinics or books or observation or just from the horse, you know, listening to the horse and, and, you know, learning and changing and, and things that I've seen so many times over the years, like, like with your horse, Aviva, I, I talk about when I see the stifles hanging up um, or upward fixation or whatever, what you want to talk about that. I think that is when you're getting somewhere. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's something I've learned from horses. And so, yeah, I think, I think those are the things I look for in, in good horse person. Yeah. Well, I think, I think that's, that this this conversation has been very interesting and quite educational and i i'm so glad aviva suggested doing this and jen i want to thank you so very much for taking your time to talk with us today yeah it was really fun thanks jen yes i'll see you soon once again i'd like to thank jennifer hoffman for joining us today as well as our sponsor adm equine you can find out more about them at admequine.com. Thanks for listening to the Dressage Today podcast. If you've missed any episodes or to subscribe, go to Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please rate and review the show. 
Learn more and read in-depth training articles at dressagetoday.com, or you can visit our subscription video site, ondemand.dressagetoday.com. Be sure to give us a follow on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Pinterest. Happy riding, and we'll see you at X. The Dressage Today podcast is a production of the Equine Podcast Network, an entity of Equine Network, LLC.